thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Good morning. Um, today's Bible reading comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. <clears throat> to us a child is born. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Lee, and good morning. Welcome again. Has been a full service, and uh, as uh, Mark said at the beginning, we're starting a, a series uh, wrapped around belief, the beliefs that our community holds around Christmas and our own, and what the kind of connection is between them. Just last night, I read a Facebook post. I occasionally go on Facebook, so don't get excited. Uh, and uh, a friend of mine had put down this about uh, her, her activities for the day. She said, I decided to listen to Christmas songs today rather than traditional carols. You know, songs like Blue Christmas, Feliz Navidad, All I Want for Christmas is You, Last Christmas, all, uh, the, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, Frosty the Snowman, I'll Be Home for Christmas, dot, dot, dot. Then she says this, there's definitely a longing in these songs for something more, a hope, also a kind of melancholy, a sentimentality, a happiness. And I was really struck by her reflection on the expectation that is so prevalent in so many Christmas songs. Whether they're Christmas songs or Christmas carols, Christmas television shows or Christmas movies, expectation is fairly strong. These expectations of homecoming, of being with loved ones and with friends and family, about having uh, wonderful times and wonderful food, of whimsical innocence and joy and wonder and delight, it's all kind of wrapped up there. And it's really hard to escape, isn't it? And there's a bunch of reasons for it. I mean, you know, one is the uh, ubiquitous power of the conditioning of marketing, isn't it? Um, it's pretty hard to escape the expectation if you watch television or listen to radio or see any advertising anywhere. Now, there's a whole lot of expectation about the day, isn't there? 
Uh, it also has to do with the philosophical roots of how we celebrate Christmas. I don't know if you've ever thought about the philosophical roots of how we celebrate Christmas, but it's largely based in the romantic ideals uh, of the 1800s that was based as a reaction against the Industrial Revolution uh, and the rationality of the Enlightenment. And so it embraced nostalgia and sentimentality and awe and wonder and nature and folk stories and all this sort of stuff. And a lot of our traditions of, of, um, of Christmas, the things that we do were rooted in that. Uh, people have only celebrated Christmas the way we do for the last couple of hundred years. It was very, very different uh, before that. Uh, it's partly a result of living in Australia, isn't it? I mean, there's something to look forward to. Uh, even if you have no religious affections at all, there's something to look forward to in December, isn't there? It's the end of the year. Uh, all the hard work is done, things slow down. I know that things don't slow down as much as they used to slow down, but there's still a lot of places that are closed. It's starting in January. Things are a lot easier. More people are on leave. Uh, that's something good to look forward to. Long, sunny days, days at the beaches, time with family and friends. There's a lot to look forward to. And our own experience of Christmas. I mean, for many people, Christmas is a pretty delightful time of year. Uh, one of my daughters, she's just like, I cannot wait for Christmas. And, and it's not because she understands the philosophical roots of, of the Christmas season. It's because it's been a really lovely time for her for her whole life. Summer holidays, lots of friends, presents, playing in the pool, family. It's just, it goes on and on. And so there's all sorts of reasons why we have these wonderful expectations. And we, as people of faith, share these expectations with our water community. Now, these aren't unique. You don't need to be a person of faith to have expectations for Christmas, nor do you need to be an atheist to have them. Everyone has some sort of expectation around Christmas. And these, uh, these verses in Isaiah chapter 9 speak of some fairly significant expectations, don't they? Now, they're outrageous expectations about a king to come who will not only bring a fundamental and significant act of salvation, but one who will reign with righteousness and justice for all time. Now, these are really big expectations. Uh, we see them, of course, as pointing to Jesus, and, and they do. But in their original context, they were still fairly significant. In their original context, it spoke into the somewhat disastrous reign of King Ahaz of Judah. If you took the time to read in Second uh, Chronicles and Second Kings, the reign of Ahaz, it is kind of fundamentally described as a disaster. Uh, while nothing horrible happened during his reign, he made several decisions to not trust the Lord that introduced idolatry and faithlessness into the people of Israel and saw the demise of the people of faith. It's, it's categorically described as a failure. And this prophecy was one that spoke into that situation that looked forward to a time to come when a king would come who would undo the work of Ahaz. In its original context, it was probably about Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah's story in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles is described as this flawless reign and rule, or nearly flawless reign and rule of a man. Someone whose heart was devoted to God, who put his faith deeply into him. And these verses may initially have pointed to him. Uh, the, even the, the great names of a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, could be seen as throne names. Names given when a king was a, a kind of named king, a, the ascended the throne. 
saying, stating essentially that this man has the wisdom of God, the might of God. He will be an everlasting father for us, his people, and providing and protecting for us, and all of these sorts of things. Uh, that's, that may be at work here. A little bit of hyperbole, of course, is happening. Uh, but we're used to that in those sorts of special occasions, aren't we? You go to a wedding. Uh, we talk in hyperbolic forms about the couple, don't we? Wonderful guy, great gal, they're perfect together, even though we know in reality that many marriages, well, all marriages were not perfect for each other, uh, and, uh, and many marriages fail. But you don't stand at a wedding and go, well, listen, let me tell you the seven character flaws of your soon-to-be husband uh, and tell you the percentages that, that this is going to fail. We don't do that. And so this may be hyperbolic language talking about an ideal future uh, represented for us with King Hezekiah. However... Hezekiah never lived up to these expectations. We find them in Jesus, don't we? It's no surprise that the people of Israel from very early on saw that this was more than just about Hezekiah. That if this was pointing to an earthly king, this was also predictive of something much greater, of a king to come, of someone who would not just have the wisdom of God, but would be God. Someone who wouldn't just have the power of God behind them, but someone who was, in fact, the power of God. Someone who would reign and rule with justice and righteousness for all times. Huge expectations. And these are the expectations that we, as people of faith, continue to have. And I want you to notice that they are global, corporate, long-term expectations. And this, I think, is where our expectations around Christmas begin to come into tension with the expectations that we experience about Christmas. Because the expectations we have around Christmas tend to be individual, local, and immediate. I want to have a really lovely day with my friends and my family. I hope that my children have a sense of delight. I want to go to our carols, which will be for our community. And it's very short-term, individual, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, local. It's, it's now. Our hope is in a couple of days at Christmas. And that, that brings all sorts of tensions for us, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we were reminded again of the brokenness of the world, as, as Kath reminded us, of, the, of another shooting in the United States. Uh, Only a few weeks ago, there were the terrorist actions in Paris. These are just the things that hit the news. We know that there are atrocities that take place all around the world that we never even hear about. And so our expectations are that that stuff gets fixed. And perhaps in cynicism, or perhaps in despair, we reduce our expectations to things that are attainable. I might, not, I might not be able to do anything about the crisis in Syria, but at least I can have a nearly perfect ham for Christmas. I may not be able to change any of the policies to change how we deal with the environment and climate in the short term, but at least the kids can get that PlayStation game they've always wanted. And I may not be able to do anything about the proliferation of radical extremists all over the world who are willing to kill for their own ideals, but I can tastefully decorate my house. Sound vaguely familiar? Our our expectations are not global. They're they're not long-term. They're not universal. They're immediate, short-term, localized, individualized. And, And yet when we sing the songs of Christmas, they're not songs of immediate, short-term hope, are they? 
the, the song that we sang earlier in the service, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. That had nothing to do with the day. Born thy people to deliver. O come, O come, Emmanuel, to rescue us, uh, to save us, to usher and guide us into heaven itself, to guide us through all of life, to deal with our suffering. Those are huge hopes, aren't they? It's so much easier to sing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, or Silver Bells, or Frosty, the non-melting snowman, right? Like... It's, uh, particularly in Australia, that makes a lot of sense to sing. It's easier to sing Frosty the Snowman here than it is to sing Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so our hope and our expectations get reduced. I mean, interestingly, when you look at the stories, the birth narratives of Jesus, there's actually not a call to faith. It's really intriguing. It's just a proclamation that God has stepped into the world. Uh, The festival of Christmas was not instituted by God, but by the church. Now, before you kind of go, see, I told you we shouldn't celebrate it. The church also introduced Easter, and we should celebrate that. This is a reminder for us, not that God has done something that has fundamentally kind of fixed everything, but that he has fundamentally started something that he will finish. Our hope, our expectation exists rather uh, in in the, the second coming of Jesus. And I was trying to think, you know, what's the difference between an individual hope and, 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 and sorry, uh, an immediate hope and a long-term hope? What difference does it make if you have a long-term hope? And this, some of you are going to think this is just silly and just an excessive example, but let me, let me give you an example of the hockey team that I follow. Because <clears throat> I've never done that before, have I? <clears throat> I follow the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, mired in mediocrity since 1967, uh, is the unofficial motto of the team. Uh, wonderful storied past, but now for me, a lifetime since there's been any success in the franchise. And this year, again, they've decided to rebuild the franchise. And so they put their hope in good draft picks and developing prospects and players and whatnot. And there's this blueprint for the future. Thursday, it's my day off. Decided I was going to watch a hockey game because I have a subscription through Apple TV to the NHL. And the Maple Leafs were playing. Playing the Winnipeg Jets. How good is this? A day off, I'll sit down and watch my team play. So I sat down and watched my team get flogged. <laughs> 6-1 was the final score and it wasn't really even that close. It was just ugly, ugly hockey. Now here's, the, here's what I think the difference is between an immediate expectation and a long-term expectation. An immediate expectation looks at that game and goes, I'm depressed for the rest of the week. A long-term expectation says, we're rebuilding. (laughs) For those who follow the Maple Leafs, Jesus' return is more likely. (laughs) But it it occurred to me that then the immediate failure, the immediate disappointment is somehow mediated because there's a bigger picture to look forward to. All things being equal, in two or three years, this 6-1 defeat will be forgotten in the glory of winning more frequently, of actually perhaps making the playoffs again. How nice would that be? And that longer-term perspective means that I'm not actually all that upset about this loss because there's something greater to come. Now, I think there might be a bit of analogy for us because we encounter disappointments all the time, don't we? So much more significant than, 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 than a team losing a game. 
Now, we're talking about significant, significant failures. You know, I don't need to mention, I've mentioned a couple of them already. The shootings in the United States, the proliferation of ISIS and the terrorist cells, the, 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 the disaster that is Syria right now, uh, all of the tribal warfare that goes on all the way throughout not only the Middle East but in Africa. I mean, there's no end of injustice. There is no end of trouble. And yet for us as people of faith, we're actually called to have an expectation that that will be fixed. That God is fixing this. He's begun to fix this in Jesus. And the solution will come. And so in the immediate to say, yeah, that's awful. That's not pleasant. That is not good. That is unjust. To do all we can to undo that injustice, but at the same time to maintain a big picture view that says our hope is not actually attainable by buying Christmas hams or putting up more tinsel or tasteful lights or, or, or anything. Our hope exists only in Jesus' coming. And so Christmas for us becomes a moment for us to cast our eyes to the big picture. To remember that in all the brokenness and pain, in all the shame and injustice, that we still have hope. Christians are able to look at the broken world we live in and still celebrate Christmas. But those messages of pain and suffering are very difficult in the world of the Christmas song, isn't it? Our expectation is universal and long-term and global in its scope. And so on Christmas Day, we will join together and sing, not it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed, whatever he was. We will sing joy to the world. Not even Gymea Baptist or the Sutherland Shire or Sydney or Australia, but joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let heaven and nature sing. And we will be able to do that with complete and utter integrity. Not because our world is perfect. Not because our world is right. But because we know that the king has come once and he's coming again. So may our expectations and our longing be in Jesus this Christmas. Remembering his first advent and looking forward to his second as we sit in the already but not yet of his eternal reign. I want to take a moment to uh, pray for us as Kath and the team come to lead us in another song of faith, a song that we've introduced recently called Good, Good Father, a song that requires us to make a statement of faith in a world that seems to have so little good in it that God is indeed good. And then immediately after that, just to give you fair warning, uh, the parents of preschoolers, I will be dismissing you to the graduation of the preschool and the world premiere of the preschool children's Christmas movie, uh, which should be done by the end of the last song as well. So uh, that's going to be happening immediately after I pray. Uh, so would you join me as we take some time to pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have not abandoned us, that in our brokenness and our fallenness, in all the, 
all the injustice, all the suffering in our world, from the very little things in our own lives to the, to the mass atrocities that we, that we know take place every day. We thank you that you have not abandoned us, that your plan is to restore and to renew and to redeem. And we thank you that you have done so dramatically in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity at Christmas to look forward. We thank you for holidays and family and friends and good food and and all the things that we enjoy. But we thank you that at Christmas we can remember that you stepped into our world to redeem and restore and renew. And we would pray as we sang earlier, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, We pray and long for the day when you will set all things right. And we pray that this Christmas, that our expectations might be for that. That we might go beyond the hopes of a really lovely Christmas day to the hopes of a renewed world. That we might indeed be able to sing in full voice joy to the world. And as we conclude our service now, as we remind ourselves of your goodness, may we sing with faith in the face of circumstances and situations that we encounter daily, that we might indeed know your goodness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.